Um, I'm of I'm of the strong conviction that the thing that we need most is not theology and you know a lot of head knowledge, but real concrete, practical answers from the Bible to the problems that we face. You know, there are just so many issues that we have um, today. So much conflict. So many. So much misunderstanding. Just not just in the from the culture, but just from our lives, from our upbringing. There's so many knots that we have in our lives. So many knots that have just have got to be untied. And um, the Bible provides those practical, concrete answers um, as to how to solve our problems. And uh, that's what so many of us are just so hungry and so thirsty for, just clear, precise answers from the scriptures as to how we can how we can improve and move more in the direction of Christ-likeness, of holiness, of his perfect will for us um, together. Because it's as I always say, we're in this together and um, we're not we're not going anywhere. The church is not going anywhere um as a as a, the universal body of Christ you know we're we're in this together and we sink or we swim together if one hurts the whole hurts with it um if one succeeds the whole succeeds with it and so you know we have to take that attitude that we are one we're one we're one and what each one of us does individually in our private lives is is going to affect everybody. Um, so anyway, I just want to jump right into it. There's just a, there is um. I just wanted to share with you something that the Lord has shared with me just the other night during our home family Bible study. The Lord illuminated this for me. I had never thought of this verse, um, thought about this in the verse, but I'd like just to look at just quickly the relationship between husbands and wives. And I'd like to look at Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, and in keeping with what I said about wanting to um, give the scriptures in a clear, concrete, and precise way, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. So Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, he says, A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. So one of the things the Lord was sharing me, sharing, showing me as I had... Um, was reading this the other night is that first of all you don't a king is not a king if he doesn't have a crown right a, the sign of a king is that he wears a crown um even you know Yeshua, he even yeshua when talks about uh, when in the bible talking about us being kings and priests in heaven he speaks of us having a crown giving us crowns um you know there's so many songs crowning with many crowns O lamb upon the throne uh, there's all these references to crown. David wore a crown. Solomon wore a crown. All the kings of the Bible wore crowns. And so you're not a king without a crown. Well, he says, a worthy wife is a crown for her husband. Well, what does that mean? I mean, it means that the wife makes her husband the king in his home. It is the wife who makes her husband the king in his home. The Bible already gives him the title of leader and head of the home, but it's but it's the wife who makes her husband the king in his home by submitting to his leadership, by strengthening his leadership, and enforcing his leadership. Um, by she is the one who makes him king by bringing everything in the home under his control. And um, and that's that's what a wife does. A wife is supposed a wife that's a, a worthy wife. That's that's a, a distinction there. A worthy wife. That means a praiseworthy wife. A wife worthy of honor. A wife wife worthy of respect. A, a, a worthy wife. 
of the worthy of the term godly, worthy of the term wife even, because somebody who was a true wife, who was a as a help meet to her man, um, does this. She is the crown of her husband. She is the sign of his kingship. She is the one who makes him the king in his home. Now, how does she do this? She makes him king by, by uh, as I said, by strengthening his leadership, by enforcing his leadership. Um, and when others attack him, she does what? She defends him. When the children are disobeying, she commands them to obey him. Um, she makes him king by bringing everything in the household under his control. Everything. Everything. She works to bring everything in the household and in their marriage under his control. She does not work against him. She doesn't fight him. She doesn't undermine him. She doesn't, uh, you know, if she has a disagreement, uh, she fasts, she prays, she doesn't um, attack him and say, you know, uh, you know, say ugly things about him, um, you know, or just outright rebel. She doesn't do that. What she does is she fasts, she prays for his leadership. And even if there's something that she doesn't agree with, um, she still doesn't undermine him. Instead, she submits to his leadership, submits to his decisions and enforces his decisions in the home. So whatever he decides, she goes about making that thing happen. Now, of course, we're talking about a holy, we're, again, we're talking about a holy marriage. We're talking about Christians. We're not talking about heathen. You know, heathen can't do that. We're talking about Christian marriages. And that's what a Christian marriage would look like. The wife brings everything in the home under his control. She doesn't try to go a different direction. She brings everything under his control. If there's, uh, if, if, like I said, if there's an issue with the children, if there's an issue with, um, if, if there's something in the home that's in disrepair, she'll bring that to his attention. Honey, this got to be fixed. Why? Because she's trying to bring the home under his control. If there are bills that she doesn't, that he's not aware of, that's got to be paid. What does she turn around and do? She says, honey, remember, we've got to pay this. We've got to, she's, she's always there trying to make everything, putting everything under his control. That's what a worthy wife does. A worthy wife makes her husband king in the home. But then we look at the second part and see, and this here is sort of why, because I, I was always wondering, it's like, why is marriage so dysfunctional? Why do we have so much dysfunction in marriage? Why has marriage become a competition um, between the sexes where the wife wants to compete with the man, wants to dominate the man, wants to boss the man, wants to be on uh, equal footing with the man. It's like, why is that? You know, why is there, why is the divorce rate 50%? Why, and why are the people who are married so miserable? Um, it's because this is not happening. Um, the wife is not making the husband king in his home. Instead, she's doing the second thing. But a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. And it doesn't mean that men don't have their part, too, because we've got a lot of sorry men out there, unfortunately, who are just not educated or haven't been trained in the way of holy leadership and godly, godly leadership and being a godly and holy husband. They just have not been. And so because they haven't been trained in the ways of, of, of Christ-likeness and holiness, they haven't made the decision to submit Um they they don't love their wives. So he says, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. That is the wife who, instead of um, making her husband the king, the head, the leader, strengthening, enforcing, um, upholding his leadership in the home, um, she goes against his leadership. She undermines his leadership. Um, when others are uh, attacking him, she is leading the attack. Uh, she's going and telling the household business. She's going around, um, you know, spreading lies about her husband. She, you know, goes against her husband's leadership. If her husband makes a decision, you know, she says, I'm not going to follow it. I, I, I'm, uh, God will speak to me. He doesn't have to speak to you. Um, she competes with the man over the leadership in the home. Um, she she uh, poisons the minds of the children against the husband. 
Um, she is, you know, she is one who tears the household down um, instead of builds it back up. Whatever program of holiness the man tries to implement, um, she is the main one um, tearing that down, tearing it apart, and going against it. And so this is this is what the this is what the unworthy. This is what the unworthy wife does, the, the disgraceful woman, the woman who does not have grace. You see, that's disgrace. The woman who does not have grace, who is without grace. Um, that woman who does not have the grace of God in her life is the woman who does that. The Lord just showed me that too. Thank you, Lord. The, a, a disgraceful wife does not have the grace of God in her. And we know from Romans in chapter 6, uh, that the Bible says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under law, but are, un but are under grace. So if without grace, sin dominates you. Now, what is the root of this issue? What is the root of the problem, the root of the conflict between the man and his wife? You see, it, and it's important for us, uh, for most of us who are married, and not just us who are married, but for people who are not married, to understand the proper relation between man and his wife. You see, this is what we're talking about, practical, concrete answers to human problems from the scriptures. How do we know how we're supposed to properly function together? Because God created man and woman to be together. We cannot be separate. We cannot exist separately. So the question is, is that how do we function together? And what is the proper role of the man and his wife? Look at real quick. Uh, there are a couple verses I want to look at. Look at 1 Corinthians and... Let's look at 1 Corinthians and chapter 11. 1 Corinthians um, Let me see. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians 11. Is it 2 Corinthians 11? Okay, let's just check this out here. Okay. No, was I right? Was it 1 Corinthians 11? Okay, yeah, here we go. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So starting at verse, um, starting at verse 2 here. He says this. Um, he says, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. This is 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So this is the order of humanity. It's not just the order of one couple that chooses to follow it or doesn't choose to follow it. Um, one group might not like it. Feminists might like it. Some people, some Christians might do it. Some Christians don't have to. No. This is the order for all humanity, whether people realize it or not, whether people accept it or not. This is the order that God has established. He says, the head of every man is Christ, period. Christ is supposed to be the head of every single man in the whole world. Christ is supposed to be the head of every single man in the whole world, right? And then he says, now, for every single woman in the whole world, the head of the woman is the man. For every single woman in the whole world, the man is to be the head. And what does that mean? Head is just symbolism for leader. The head does everything. Can somebody tell me that's something that the head does not do in terms of the decision making? There's not a, a leg that moves or an arm that lifts without the, without the head making the choice to do so. Even the involuntary uh, movements like the heart muscle, like the you know, certain smooth muscle movements and involuntary muscle movements, even those things are controlled by the electrical impulse in the nervous system that begin in the brain from the head. 
So even whether it's voluntary, involuntary, conscious or unconscious, the head does everything. And this is the same thing in as it applies to the relations between man and woman. The head does everything. The man is the leader in all things. He is the leader. And whether he's the leader in doing right or he's the leader in doing wrong, the man is the head in all things. But again, we're talking about Christian men, people who, who, who profess to follow the Lord Jesus and who are trying to live holy. The head and, and, and period. Well, I mean, and even if they're not saved, the man is still the head. But what we're talking about in our condition, we are Christians. So this is what I'm speaking to now. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of that man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God Almighty. That is the chain of command. That is the order of the church. And um, there is a spirit, there is a spirit of rebellion that we're dealing with today that wants to overthrow that order, that wants to overthrow male authority, that wants to overthrow male leadership, that does not want to submit to male leadership. Now, in the past, I've, I've attributed this to the feminist movement, the sexual revolution, sexual revolution, and the homosexual revolution. I'm not wrong in this, but it goes back even further than that. The root of this conflict between men and women, the man and his wife, goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to the garden. And... Um, this is a, it's a, it's a part of the curse. It's a part of the curse. Um, if you look at Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three, after the fall, and uh, you, you see that this is, you know, what do you find? Again, you, you find the, the woman in this passage in, in the in the whole chapter is is usurping the authority of the man. Um, Adam is not exercising his authority as the man, so the woman is usurping her authority over the man. Again, Adam did not exercise his authority over the man, so the woman is usurping his the authority of the man. She's usurping authority over the man, and so we find the serpent is not talking to Adam, but he's talking to the woman. He's not talking to Adam, who's the head. He's talking to the woman, subverting the authority. Uh, the devil tells Eve, the devil tells uh, Eve that you don't have to listen to God and submit to the authority. If you eat the fruit, you will become like God. And not only will you become like God, but then you'll be equal with your husband and authority. In fact, you'll go beyond your husband instead of, instead of being under your husband's authority, because we know that Eve was under Adam's authority in, in the garden, just from, um, the, 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 uh, the symbolic, well, she was by the order of her creation. She was taken from the man. She was brought to the man. She was created for the man. That means she, that's what the Bible says. I will create a helpmeet for him. I will create a helpmeet for him. For is a statement of purpose, right? If you say, well, what is something for? You're, you're speaking specifically to the purpose of the thing. Why does the thing exist? Why does the woman exist? Well, God tells us, why does the woman exist? I will create a helper for the man. She exists for the man, meaning that a woman has no purpose outside of the man because she was created for the man. Therefore, she belongs to the man. Everything about her life is for the man. That's what it's supposed to be for, to help and complement the man. And so what we find is, is that she tries to get outside of that. And so instead of being under the authority, she says, well, if we both partake of this fruit, we'll be on equal terms and with each other and we'll be equal to God. So here she is trying to, again, Satan in one blow to overthrow the authority, the order, the chain of command with God as the head of Christ, Christ as the head of Adam, Adam, the head of Eve. Satan in one blow is going to destroy that entire chain of command. 
And what do we find? We find that Adam, what is the, the Bible says um, in Genesis chapter three, verse six, she says, the woman was convinced. This is after the serpent's trickery. She says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. So you see, we find what just happened there. We find Adam eating out of the hand of his wife, right? Which is a sign that she, um, that he abdicated his authority and submitted to her. Amen. So this is, this is what we're talking about. Uh, Whenever a man is eating out of a woman's hand, um, that's an abdication of his authority and nothing good, nothing ever good comes of it. Um, we see situations all throughout the scriptures where uh, a woman is usurping the authority of the man and it never turns out well. Um, Eve usurped authority over Adam. What happened? The whole world fell. Uh, Rebecca usurped authority over Isaac in making Jacob the uh, inheritor of his blessing, what happened? Jacob suffered for 20-something years. Uh, the women in Jeremiah's time were baking cakes to the queen of heaven. Their husbands knew about it, didn't do anything about it. What happened? Jerusalem was devastated. Um, Ahab abdicated his authority to his wicked wife, Jezebel, who, who uh, completely controlled him and controlled his life. What happened? Ahab was the most wicked king ever in the whole history of Israel. Um, over and over and over again, you find that when a woman tries to usurp authority over the man, nothing good ever comes of it. Instead, complete ruin comes of it. And we see that today, where women who want to usurp authority over the man, what does that make the man? It makes him gay. It makes him effeminate. And that's what we see today. We see effeminate men, homosexual men, because when, when a woman takes the man's place, the woman, the man by default has to take the woman's place. And so because the orders are reversed, the role is reversed. So he becomes effeminized. He, he loses his manhood. And you see what you see today because of a, a bunch of women who want to take authority over the man. You see it in the sports now. The men want to race in the, and compete with women now. You see them dressing up like women. You see them in the ring beating women. Um, all because of this feminist movement that wanted to be like men. They got what they asked for. They, want, they got what they asked for. They got what they asked for. They got the positions they wanted. They got to come out of the home. They got to uh, enter the workforce and, and, and leave the home and, and, and make money. But this is also what they got. They got perverts raising their children in the schools. They've got um, debt. They've got drugs and uh, depression and sadness and, and, and uh, infertility. They've got all these things because they chose to leave their place and the men let them and the men chose to leave their place as the leaders and providers, the priest providers and protectors of their home. But anyway, in one fell swoop, Satan was able to overthrow the authority of, of uh, Christ being the head of Adam, Adam being the head of Eve in one blow by, uh, give, by tempting Eve to get the fruit and Adam not intervening. So, God cursed them. You see, in that perfect state, in that perfect state, Eve had nothing to fear. There was nothing to be afraid of. There was nothing that they had lacked, nothing at all. They had absolutely everything anybody could ever uh, dream of, right? Um, and But that wasn't enough. She wanted to go beyond her place. You see, as that's, that's typical of, of any movement that's of the devil is where you find a woman who wants to go beyond her place. You know, it's sin. There's some kind of sin there when a woman wants to go beyond her place. And in fact, after the fall, it wasn't until after the fall that Adam named his wife Eve. And so when a, whenever a woman wants to be independent from her man, Whenever she wants to do her own thing and go her own way and make a name for herself, have her own name, then you know that the situation has fallen. The relationship has fallen. Sin, sin has entered into the picture. So what does God do? God curses them because of their disobedience. And he says in um, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I, uh, as a result of her disobedience, the Bible says, then he said to the woman, 
I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you, I love this, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, that is the source of the conflict and the tension between husbands and wives. The source and the conflict of the tension is the fact that the man has the authority but the woman, the wife, wants to be in control. She wants to control her husband. But the Bible says he will rule over you, meaning that the, the, the role of leader is not going anywhere. But you're going to constantly fight that authority. You, that, there's going to be something in you that wants to go beyond, you know, to say there's something more than just being a wife, something more than just a home, something more than just children, which is the devil. That's Jezebel. That's the devil. When you want to go beyond your husband, go beyond your children, go beyond your household. That's the devil. That's the devil in you. That's that Eve spirit in you that wants to go past the place that God has put you in. And the same thing for Adam. Well, do I have to exercise my authority? Do I have to lead? Should I be? Why come I don't let a woman just take care of me and, and let her do it for me? That's the devil. That's that Adam spirit. Why don't I just let the wife lead? That's the devil. That's the same spirit, that same spirit that Adam and Eve had in the garden with the with in the garden. Eve wanted to go beyond her place of taking care of Adam and being a support for him. She wanted to go beyond that place. And Adam wanted to leave his place by letting the woman lead him. And so whenever we have those feelings like, oh, you know, my children aren't enough, my home, that's not enough, my husband, that's not enough, that's, that's the devil, that's Eve, that's of the devil. You know, and whenever we have men, husbands who will say, oh, well, you know, I just want a woman to take care of me. I just want a woman to leave. Honey, you can do what you want to do. That's the devil. That's, that's that same Adam spirit that caused us to fall in the garden in the first place. So that's the source of the conflict. The source of our tension is the, the, that, 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 that authority, even though it's fallen, we're in a fallen state, the structure is still there and will always be there. It will always be there. That God has always placed the man as the head, but the, but the carnality, the carnality of the woman and the man is there's going to be tension over that. She's going to want to be in control. That's the that's the curse. She's going to want to be in control, but the but the but the word of God stands firm in the heavens that the man is supposed to be in control. And there's going to be tension because she's going to be fighting the man for control. Now, what is the cure for this? What is the cure for this? Well, the cure for this, of course, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit. It is our salvation. Our Christian faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus is supposed to reverse this. You see, because what, what is the source of it? So the source where there, there's going to be a fight for control. But what is that control? What is that? What is that fight over? Why does she want? control why does the woman want control why will she want control look in your bibles to first peter chapter 3 verse 6 turn in your bibles please to first peter chapter 3 verse 6 take your time and get there Peter, first Peter chapter three and verse six. All right, first Peter chapter three, verse six. The Bible says this. Again, there, there's, a, there's a fight for control, but there is no fight for control without some kind of fear there. So you see, if, if somebody is, um, let me not get ahead of myself, but he, 
there's no there's a reason for this fight for control. He says in First Peter chapter three verse six. Uh, I'll begin at verse. Uh, let me begin at verse four, um, three, because I, I like to read it in context. He says, "Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the fading." the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. This is the father of faith now, who lived a holy and godly life. And he, he made mistakes, but he lived holy and called Abraham her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right. Pay attention now without fear of what your husbands might do. I love that. I love the way the New Living Translation put that. He says you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. So what is the source of the conflict and the, and the desire for control? What is that about? Where, why do we, why, why, what is that? What is, what powers that curse that God put on Eve when he told her that you're, you, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. What is that? What is, what is fueling that want to control? That's what we got to get at. We're trying to penetrate to the root here. That's what the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter three. The axe is laid at the root. We want to put the axe to the root of the problem. The root of the problem here is the fear of what your husband might do. You're afraid of what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to do. You, and it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of belief in him. It's a lack of belief in the Holy Spirit in him, leading him, guiding him, controlling him. It's a lack of, it's, it's fear. It's a fear of what he might do. So because you're afraid of what he might do, you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know the decisions that he's going to make. You're uncertain. You're afraid. You're distrustful. What do you do? You want to try to control him. You don't know whether or not the decisions that he makes are going to be adverse to you or not. And because you're not confident in him, confident in his leadership, confident in the Holy Spirit, confident in God, <clears throat> God's leadership in his life, you want to interpose your leadership. You want to you want to usurp authority to make sure that the marriage in the home goes the way that you want it, goes in the direction that you want. And so you fight against the man, you undermine him, you go against him and so on. That is because you want to be in control because you are afraid. And why? Where does that fear even come from? Now, she, she, it comes because, again, if going back to 1 Corinthians 11, just briefly, where he says Christ is the head of the man, the head of the man uh, is, is the woman. Going back to that, what does a woman have to be afraid of if her husband is generally under the control of Christ Jesus? There's nothing to be afraid of. If Christ truly is the head of the man, a woman has no need to fear. Why? Because what's going to happen? The man is going to treat her in a holy and godly and loving and affectionate way. All the fruits of the spirit are going to be poured out on her. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, that's all she's going to get from the man. If Christ is his head, that's all she's going to get. So she really has no need to be afraid of anything because she knows that the kind of treatment she's going to get is as if Christ Jesus himself were her husband. Right? But after the fall, what happened? After the fall... God stopped being the head of Adam. And that's where the fear came from. You see, when Christ Jesus, when we, when Adam had abdicated his authority and chose to listen to say, listen to his wife, instead of listening to God, instead of standing up under the authority of God and saying, no, we're going to do things the Lord's way. When he abdicated his authority, God stopped being his head. And so what? She had a human head now. She had a, she didn't, she didn't have 
Christ as Adam's head anymore or the, because Christ is God. She didn't have God as Adam's head anymore. So that, that, uh, that chain of command was all broken and see wherever there's a, there is disorder where there is fear because stuff is out of control. You see, it is Christ who keeps everything under control. That's what the Bible says, bringing all things under the, uh, controlling all things by the word of his power, sustaining all things <coughs> by the word of his power. He, he is the one who holds it all together. Colossians chapter one says in him, all things hold together and consist. So if it's not in him, if he is not the head of the thing, if Christ Jesus is not the head of the marriage, the head of the home, if he is not the head of the business, the head of whatever, it's not going to be held together because in him, all things hold together. And so that is the fear that she's responding to. Christ is not the head. And so what? It's not being held together. And now why is Christ Jesus not the head? Because she either she's trying to be the head or he's abdicated his authority under Christ the head. They've created that disorder and chaos and confusion in the home. That's why when we look at our children, they're so confused and messed up. That's why when we look at our marriages, they're so dysfunctional and unhappy and miserable. And we're just going, taking time, going through the steps, going, just taking time, waiting for it to be over, waiting for one of us to die or something to happen where we don't enjoy ourselves. We don't enjoy our marriage, the deep, intimate bond that is supposed to be a witness to the relationship of Christ and his church, because that's what a marriage is supposed to be. A marriage is supposed to be the witness of Christ Jesus and his church. That's how close, that's how intimate, that's how loving and uh, sanctified and, and godly and orderly our marriage is supposed to be. But when we have both women and men who are overthrowing the order that God has established, um, you get chaos and disorder and it shows up in our children. It shows up in our home. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. People could disagree with me. People can get upset with me and so on. But the bottom line is, and I'll take it fine. I don't care because the truth needs to be spoken. The bottom line is, is that when a wife rebels against her husband, she invites Satan into her home. Period. And the one Satan is going right after is those children. Period. Satan is going after the children. Satan is going after the children. Satan is going after the children. Look at your children and your children will tell you who, what, what, what is going on in your home. You see, it's disorder, it's disorder. When a man abdicates his authority and the home by being the priest, the provider, the protector, we're talking about the praying together in the mornings, leading the family in prayer, leading the family every day in Bible study, leading the family in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, you know, uh, making sure the children are reading the scriptures, you know, enforcing that, di being disciplined. Oh, but dad, you're, you're always, you're on us so hard. Oh, you're so strict. You're so strict. You're so strict. Why are you on us? Well, in the end, they're going to love you for that strictness because you impose your, your telling, you're trying to steer your family in the way of holiness. And there might be resistance. There will be resistance, but you keep sacrificing yourself. You keep laying yourself down on the altar to be cut open, bled out and set on fire by, by God to, uh, to, to, to lead your family in a holy, godly way, no matter what it takes. And in the end, your children will appreciate it. My, and they won't have any excuse. They say, my father always tried to lead us in the way of holiness. Whatever, the way I'm living now, if I'm living in an unholy and godly way, it has nothing to do with my parents because they tried to lead, lead me in a righteous way by their private life. And so husband-wife relationship, if, if, if we don't, and that's another thing too, if, you, if, if wives, wives and husbands are supposed to model how the children are supposed to function in the world. Well, let me back up real quick. The merit, the marital relationship itself is supposed to model Christ and his church. And that means that in every single thing, we are a representation of Christ Jesus. The wife is a representation of the church and how she submits it to Jesus in all things in all things, and there's perfect order, perfect harmony. And the husband is a representation of Christ, loving, nurturing, feeding, laying his life down, teaching, instructing, providing, protecting his bride, 
protecting his church, just the bride, the same way that Christ does his church. It's a perfect model so that even in marriage, what happens? The wit, the gospel is being preached by just the, by the act, by the act, by the act of marriage, by the re reality of our marriages. It's like, and, and when we follow that perfect order that God has established, what do you find? You find perfect peace. You find peace in the home. You find peace in your life. When a woman, when you finally let that burden of control go, when you let go of the finances, when you let go of the control of the home and, and you leave that to your husband and you submit to his vision, the perfect peace that you have because that burden is off of you. There's nothing like it. You think of the planets, even the Bible says, even the planets sense the things that don't even think that are un, they're unintelligent things, creations, even they have better sense than most, than most of us do in the sense of understanding order. Why do the planets have perfect peace? There's not one in our galaxy. Planets don't crash into each other. They don't bash into each other. They don't go off course. There's none of that. The planets go around in, order, in a perfect harmony, perfect peace. There's perfect peace up there. Why? Because they never deviate from the order and from the path that God has them on. They always make their revolutions, their appointed revolutions around the sun without back talking, without arguing, without disputing. The planets always go around in its circle, right around the, right around the sun perfect order. You can tell time by it. You can count on it. You can guarantee it because for the past 6,000 years, they have not stopped obeying God. You can count on them. People tell time by them. You can tell the seasons by them because they never go against the order of God. And so there's perfect harmony up there, perfect peace, perfect quiet, because they never deviate from God's, God's plan. And the same thing is true of us. When we don't, when we stay within the order that God has established, what you find is perfect peace, perfect order in the home. And see, for you wives, when you, when you rebel against your husband and you disobey him and you go against him and you undermine him and you think you have a better idea than he does, or, and instead of submitting to him and praying for his leadership, you say, well, I'm going to do something different from you. I'm just not going to listen to you. Then what you do is you create chaos and disorder in the home because you're outside of the order of God. And what you do is you teach your children to rebel. Look at your children. That's, that is the key. That is the answer. Look at your children. If you're rebelling against your husband, what do you think you're teaching your children how to do? Rebel. You, I mean, they're picking up on this. They're paying attention to this. They're, they are paying attention. Trust me. I know firsthand they are paying attention to everything that we do in the home, every single thing. And if they see dad, they see mommy going against daddy, you know, uh, undermining daddy, campaigning against daddy to, to her friends and to uh, and to them about, oh, you don't need to do what daddy says. You don't need to listen to him. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it. when they when they they're paying attention to that. And what do you think is going to happen to them? They're going to become rebellious, hard hearted, stubborn and disobedient. And you, you and that's the that's what you're teaching them to do. That's why our children the way that they are today, because we taught them to be like that. And the husband, the same thing. When you give up the leadership, when you stop fighting because you're tired of all the opposition, all the opposition. I just want peace. I just want peace. I want peace. I, I don't want any more conflict. Fine. We can compromise here. We can compromise there. We can watch a little filthy show here. We can listen to some unholy music there. Yes, you can listen to that in your room. Yes, you can watch that in your room. I don't have any problem. Fine, fine. Just let there be peace. When you abdicate your authority like that, you also bring Satan straight into your home because the Holy Ghost, your role is under the, our role as husbands is under the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the whole, who is the, the Bible describes him as it's the spirit of Jesus. We have the, the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus never tolerates sin. Never. So we all, so when we give up, when we compromise, we say, oh, well, just for the sake of peace, I'll, I'll stop trying to steer the home in the right direction towards holiness. I'm just tired of fighting, tired of fighting, tired of fighting. Then what happens? You invite Satan into your home and the children learn something from that too. They learn, well, if daddy won't stand for his faith and for his role, then I'm not going to stand for the faith either. 
And the man says, well, you know, if uh, he'll pick up on that habit like Samson, you know, oh, well, um, you know, after so long of being worn out by the same thing over and over and over again, I'll give up the gift of God. That's what Samson did with Deliah day after day, asking him the same thing over and over. And instead of shutting it down, saying, woman, leave me alone or getting away from her. What did he do? He gave up. He gave up the gift of God for the sake of peace with her. And we do the same thing when we give up our roles and we stop fighting for righteousness, even if it leads to arguments, even if it leads to disagreements, even if it leads to folks not liking you. Your children not liking you for a time, your wife not liking you for a little bit, not, you know, even if it leads to, you know, folks going outside the home and campaigning against you to their friends and talking about you and all this. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. We as men cannot give up steering our homes in the way of Jesus Christ. No matter who likes it or doesn't like it. We might go through hell and it might be for years, but the bottom line, in the end, we will be vindicated. We will be justified. We will be proven right. You read the Bible. None of the true prophets had an effect immediately. It took time. People ridiculed them. People rebelled against them. But then in the end, guess what? They were right and everybody else was wrong. We must keep our prophetic role. As the priest, provider, and protector of our home, we've got to keep that role. No matter what it costs us, no matter who doesn't like who doesn't like the program we're implementing, no matter who likes it or doesn't like it, the bottom line is you're going to learn to like it because I am the head and this is what's going to happen in here. Everything in here is going to submit to God. Everything, everything. That means going in the rooms. Ain't good. You're not going to have this music. You're not going to have that show on. This poster, this whatever thing in here that's not of God. All the things that are not of God is gone. If you're under my roof, it's gone. We're not tolerating it. Period. Get mad. Get upset. Yes, get mad. Get it out now. But it's coming. Because this home is going to be dedicated to the Lord. Our home is going to be dedicated to the Lord. The Lord God Almighty is going to be able to set up his throne right here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right here in this home. And so we have to take our stand as men and not allow the culture or the pressures of, of, of popular opinion or the opinion of the people in our home to dissuade us from taking, the, taking, a, a godly, taking our home on the godly course. And so this is the proper this is the proper relation between a man and his wife. The proper relationship of a man and his wife is that the man is the leader, period. He is the decider and everything in under his leadership is to obey him. And the wife going all the way back to our first early verse in Proverbs chapter 12, the wife is to make her husband the king in the home by bringing everything under his control. That is her role. Not to try to usurp control because we know nothing but disaster ever follows that. Nothing but disaster, disaster for the marriage, disaster for the children, disaster for the wife even. We know that. And so what happens is, is that we want, uh, we, we, the wife is to help make her husband the king in the home by bringing everything under his control, by reinforcing his dictates, the things that he says must happen for the glory of God. The direction that he's trying to take, the wife is to be on board with that and agree. And if she doesn't agree, to obey. And it would be better if she just agreed and obeyed. But if you, even if you don't agree, you fast, you pray, you seek God. Lord, help me to follow my husband. Help me to agree with him. Lord, I don't agree with this. But you know what? Because he said he, that this is going to make us more holy. This is going to take us closer to you. Uh, if we give this thing up or if we do this thing, then Lord, we're going to do it. Now, obviously, we're not again, we're talking to Christians. So obviously, I'm not saying that a wife should submit to her husband telling her to commit sin. That's obviously wrong. That's obviously wrong. So we're not even talking about that. But in the day to day decision making, the day to day decision making, the leadership, the direction that the husband wants to take the home in the way of godliness, the wife has the primary responsibility of strengthening, enforcing, upholding his leadership in the home. And that's how you create that perfect unity. You see, that's how you let the children know who the head is because you're submitting. And see, and another thing the Lord just showed me too, real quick, is the fact that if 
this modeling shows the, your daughter, our children, who to look for, for their spouses. You see, if, 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 if you, if, if you're, if you as a wife are wanting to control your husband, then guess who your daughters are going to marry? They're going to marry somebody who they can control. And then, you know, after a while, they're going to get tired of that because they want a man who is going to lead them. Even if they, even if on the surface level, they say, oh, I don't want no man leading me, da, da, da. In their heart of hearts, instinctively, they know that that is what is best because that is the order. See, even, even people who are in this LGBT movement, and that's why it's such a fraud, this cross-dressing and, and transgender movement, stuff like that, there's always a male and female um, manifestation or, or um, appearance to it. One female always dresses like a dude. The other one always dresses like a female. Why? Because the order can never, ever, 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 ever be broken. Never. There will always be a male. Always. You cannot get around it. And so when you teach your children, when you submit, when you submit to your, uh, I'm sorry, when you try to control your husband, when you try to lead him, dominate with him, compete with him, instead of following him, what happens is that you then put that spirit, that wicked Jezebel spirit into your children, and then they go around looking for a man that they can compete, boss, um, and dominate. And then that's who they marry. And then they wonder why the husband ends up being this effeminate guy uh, who doesn't lead or he turns out to be, uh, you know, homosexual or effeminized or something like that. Because all the while you're, you're competing, dominating and trying to control the man. And you wonder why he might turn to another woman or turn to pornography or turn to something else. Does it make it right? It does not make it right. But if you want to know why, that's part of the reason why he starts having eyes for somebody else because you're competing with him. You're dominating. You're controlling. Him, you're not submitted to him and making his life easy on him. You're creating more work for him. And so the wife wants to. So the children look at that and then they go looking for the same thing in the same way. When a husband just abdicates and doesn't take his place as a man and lead and and control, be in control of the household, even if people don't like it then what ends up happening is, is that a man, the, the sons end up looking for a woman who will come, who will control them, who will, who will lead them, who will take care of them. And you see a lot of that today. I want a woman who take care of me. I don't, I don't want to do no work. And you have women who going along with this. I mean, honest, I, I, I never thought I would hear this in a million years, but I, I actually did. And I knew it was happening. I already knew it was happening, but just to hear it in person. See, and that's why I love I'm, I'm like a, I mean, I love, um, I'm like a cultural anthropologist at heart because I love learning about uh, the human condition and human situations because the Bible talks about everything. And I like to be able to bring these examples into the message and just in, for my own life. There was a brother who did some work on my home um, when we first got it back last, last year. And um, very successful, brother. I mean, the man was like one, worth $1.4 million. He's, uh, he was a home inspector. And um, very good guy, hardworking man, right? He married a cardiologist. Um, she, a cardiologist, in the, they make a lot of money. They're, they, they're, they make a lot of money because they're dealing with the heart and they're in the medical field, right? So she told him, this is after they got married now. He worked every day to try to provide, you know, to provide for the family. She told him, I don't want a hardworking man. This is what she said. She said, I don't want a hardworking man. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine hearing a woman say that? I do not want a hardworking man. That's what she told him. And, you know, she wanted she divorced him. She divorced him. She quoted, he quoted the scripture to her about why they should not be divorcing. And she did it anyway. She divorced him anyway. I don't want a hardworking man. And then she divorced him because he was working hard. Can you think of that? That is, the, and that is exactly what I'm saying. What spirit is that in her that made her want to divorce her husband? Because he worked hard. It's that same Eve Jezebel spirit. That same spirit that wants to go beyond that says, hey, you know what? Because I have knowledge and because I can make money on my own, because I can be a boss and because I want to I want to usurp authority over the man. 
I can do it. I can do it myself. I can do it. I don't need no man to take care of me. I don't need no man. I, that's all Jezebel. That's all demonic. And it leads to the dissolution of marriages. And so we, I, that was just a crystal clear example to me. This is exactly what we're talking about. You're going beyond your role. When you want to go beyond the home, go beyond the husband, go beyond the children. You say there's something more than that. There's something more. There's something more. There's something more than the home. That's Jezebel. And it destroys homes. A woman's place is in the home. And Brother Austin, oh, you're making that up. You're making that up. No, no, I'm not making that up. The Bible talks about the sound doctrine. Look in your Bible real quick. I'm, I'm going to just make a couple further remarks and then we're going to close because my time is running out. We're going to look at Titus real quick. Titus chapter 2. Uh, he says, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older man to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. He says, they must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be, and, and be pure, to work in their homes to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. He says, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. You see, he says, this is sound doctrine. That verse right there, that verse right there um, in Titus 2, 1 is where it says reflects wholesome teaching. The, the ESV of that says sound doctrine. So what is sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound gospel, sound Christ Jesus, Holy Ghost living for a woman is what to teach and train the younger women to do what love their husbands and their children to live wisely and to be pure and to work in their homes to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. My God, that is sound gospel. That's what the Bible calls sound doctrine. That is sound biblical doctrine right there. And then for us, what does he say? In the same way, young men, what is, we ought to live wisely to be ourselves must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind that let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. And he says, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. So what are we, how are we supposed to live? We're supposed to live godly and holy. He says, oh, in verse two of, of Titus chapter two, to teach the older men to exercise what? Self-control. That's the example as husbands we're supposed to set, to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. That's living the fear of God. That means that we've got to separate from evil. You can't demand that your family stop doing evil and watching filthy shows and listening to filthy music and hanging out with unsaved people if you're doing it. If we're doing it, we don't have the right to tell them not to do it. So he says they must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. So that's our role as husbands to be filled with love and patience, worthy of respect and living wisely. And when we and, we, and, and what happens is we transmit that example to our children so that they, too, will grow up and then find husbands and wives who will do the exact same thing. And then they'll raise their children up in sound doctrine and sound faith and holiness, godliness, purity and order. And then they're going to transmit that to their children and the cycle goes on and on and on. You see, that's what the Lord is after. He's after generations of righteousness, but it begins in the home. It begins with husbands letting Christ be the head of their lives, meaning the decider, the decision maker, the controller, the one who's making all the decisions for them. And then they're executing those decisions in the home. There are lots of, I'll just be honest with you in the, in the, in the, in the, for the sake of transparency and not being hypocritical. I have, I've implemented changes in my home that were not popular at all, but they had to be done because there's no way of being godly if they weren't, if they weren't being done. So, and that word came from God to me to do these different things. 
And so what happens, that's how it works. You get it from God and then you transmit it to your family and say, hey, this is where we're going. And then the same thing goes to the wife. The wife says, you know what? You said it's going to be this way. This is going to take us to Christ. I'm going to make sure everything in this household follows that command. Everything in this household, I'm going to put under your control, husband. And, every, and by putting it under your control, I'm putting it under Christ's control because Christ is who is leading you. So by obeying your husband, you're obeying Christ. Husband, by obeying Christ, you're obeying God. And so this is how we correct the dysfunction, the confusion, the, I mean, the, the, the pain and suffering and misery that has become of our um, marriages. You know, marriage was never meant to be a, 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 a pain, a situation of pain and suffering. It was never meant to be that. It was always meant to be a delight. It was always meant for that. But it's become cursed in many ways because of what we have done to it in trying to destroy the order of the home. So it's up to us, brothers and sisters, to restore order. We're not going to, you, you might not get everybody around you to do it and blah, blah, blah. I'm not even thinking about anybody. I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about us as a body to restore the order in the home. And no matter how late in the game we are to transmit that example to our children so that they can grow up and have, hu and have husbands and wives who follow the order that God has established and transmit holiness from God straight to their children. From, the, from God to the husband to the wife, all the way children, and then to have that cycle repeat instead of generations of dysfunction, generations of, 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 of um, broken marriage, generations of divorce. You know, I, told, I said, you know, I mean, I told Malachi the other day, I said, the reason why we're talking about this stuff, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem sharing this stuff. I really don't because I'm not seeking honor. I really don't care what people think about me. Honestly, I'll, t I'll take it. If you say something evil about what I'm saying or say something evil about me, fine. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm done. I don't care. The truth's got to be told. I told Malachi the same thing. I said, son, the reason why we talk about these things uh, day and night during our family Bible study time is because you have got to do something different than what we have done. We've got generations on the Scott side of the family, nothing but broken marriages, dysfunction, divorce, and miserable marriages, miserable relationships. On, on your mom's side, it's dysfunction, it's misery, it's broken marriages, it's divorce. Can't 40, 50 years old, ain't nobody, you ain't married, nobody's married. Nobody's married, everybody's divorced. Or their marriages are broken in one way or the other. Or there's been adultery in some way or another. And same thing on my side. Divorce, broken marriage, divorce, dysfunction. I said, son, you've got to do something different than what our generations have done. You've got to be the one to break the cycle. And the cycle is broken with information, with concrete, practical truth of the word of God. For all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We pray, Father Heaven, that we would follow the order, Father Heaven. There's a spirit of rebellion, Lord, that's in all of us that we have to exercise. There's an attitude of rebellion and disrespect for authority, Lord God Almighty, um, that we're struggling with, that we're fighting with. There's something that wants to go beyond our place. There's something that always wants to go that same nature of Adam to try to go beyond our place, Lord of heaven. We pray that we would shed that, Lord God Almighty, and take on the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, when he became a man, being in the form of man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Just by virtue of his manhood, he humbled himself under your authority. So Lord God Almighty, we pray to shed the nature of Adam and take on the nature of Christ Jesus by your power. We want to shed the nature of Adam and take on the attitude, the nature, the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ who submitted to you in all things, Lord of heaven. We want our women to shed the Eve nature, the rebellious Eve nature, Lord of heaven, that wants to go beyond her place. 
And we want to take, we want our women to take on the nature of Christ Jesus, submissive, meek, holy, humble, and obedient to their husbands and to the authority. Lord of heaven, we want to correct what we have done. The mistakes that we have made. Every single one of us have made the mistakes. Every single one of us, Lord God, have damaged our marriage, damaged our home in one way or the other. We have ruined it. We've undermined it. We've ruined our children. We've ruined our marriages, Lord. We've ruined our communities by our disorderly behavior, Lord of heaven. And we ask for mercy. We ask for renewal. We ask somehow to give us a reset to redo, Lord of heaven, to do it over, to get it back right. Now that we're hearing the truth, Lord of heaven, we want to redo. We need a reset. We need times of refreshing, Lord, to come from you. We repent. We say we're sorry. We say we were wrong. We didn't know, Lord of heaven. Or if we knew we were just being rebellious and we asked for forgiveness, Lord, we pray for a fresh start, Father heaven, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our children. We pray for newness, Lord. Give us, a, give us grace. Give us a break. Give us a chance. Give us another opportunity to make it right, to correct everything, Lord of heaven, that we've done wrong, Lord, in our marriages and to the children, the horrible example we've set before our children. Give us a chance to make it right, Lord of heaven. The horrible way we've treated our wives, Lord. Give us the chance to make it up. The horrible way our wives have treated us, Lord, and their rebellious behavior. Give them a chance, Lord, to make it right. Let us all have a, a restart, a reordering of the home, a reset to where the home is ordered the way it's supposed to be, Father. And then give us the grace and the strength to keep it that way. Give us the fortitude, the discipline to set up our homes under the authority and under the order of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3. Where you are the head of Christ, where Christ is the head of man, and where, head, and where man is the head of his wife, the head of the woman. Lord, we pray for newness and renewal, Lord. We have blown it. We have blown it. We have blown it. We've been so ignorant, Lord of heaven. I speak of myself. I was so ignorant, Lord of heaven. I didn't know, I didn't have anybody to tell me, Father of Heaven, until later on. So I made these mistakes, Father. So I'm praying for a restart. Help us, Lord of Heaven, in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.